0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Anif Baharuddin. You're tuned in to the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Wawasan Project is an initiative that archives various materials related to Vision 2020 or Wawasan 2020, formulated by our then Prime Minister, Tun Mahathir Mohamad, in 1991. It was a narrative that many of us grew up with and to a certain extent worked towards and while it eventually waned when Tun Mahathir left his post, the impact of it was still felt even after 2020 has passed. We speak to the folks behind the initiative to learn more about this project and why we're all still invested in Wawasan 2020.
1: Hi, my name is Xiao. Uh, I am the curator of this project alongside Denise.
2: Hi, I'm Denise, um, also co-curator. Um, yeah, and um, currently I'm an art and design historian. But you know, outside of that role, I also like working with my friends on projects like this uh, where we can build things out of things we talk about for coffee over Zoom to think about art and design and the world we live in.
3: Hi, I'm Lei I'm a contributor to the project. Um, outside of this, I am uh, I work in a tech startup.
0: All right. okay, thank you so much for I, um, agreeing to be part of this conversation. Uh, I guess what I want to know first is um, obviously what is awesome Project and what are you planning to achieve with, with this project?
2: Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if it's useful. We just give a kind of brief um, history of awesome 2020 just to introduce everyone or um, we'll just kind of refresh everyone's memories. but um, you know Vol on 2020 was this ambitious program a national goal that was launched in 1991 by Mahathir, right, that laid out nine socioeconomic goals to make Malaysia this developed nation by the year 2020 Um, and, you know, filtered through and occurring alongside this goal. We witnessed the birth of things like the National Planetarium, the Multimedia Super Corridor, uh, the North-South Expressway, um, and of course the Twin Towers. So like these developments that were um, loaded with this idea of a new Malaysian modernity, um, and it's hard to summarize the program, right? Because its delivery was so piecemeal. And of course it occurred over several years of Matsu's reign. Um, and then, you know, its ideas have been kind of tirelessly like resuscitated even today. Um, so, but I think mostly how we remember on 2020 is ultimately this dream that never materialized. Um, so in 2019, um, all of us, you know, who grew up during the age of on 2020 came together to collaborate on this physical and digital archive. Um, of well, on 2020 with the Malaysia Design Archive in KL. Um, and this was prompted by obviously, you know, the timeliness of the archive, but also um, the fact that you know, it had not been documented in a single archive um, and also not through a design lens. Um, and so our archive kind of aimed to shift that lens towards you know, the variety of people and the mediums that were very heavily imbricated in this construction of Wawasan well, 2020. So we have comics, we have performances, Architectural renderings, competition entries, all of which, you know, go to show the the variety of people who were involved in the making of the project.
0: Yeah, mm, yeah. It's pretty interesting to to think about WhatsApp twenty twenty, especially when you alluded to the fact that we all grew up grew up during that era, right? Because I think I have my own memories of how I I guess uh, found out about WhatsApp twenty twenty and how I interacted with with it to a certain extent. Uh, but maybe yeah, I guess I can get you know the three of you to share your personal uh experiences you know engaging with WhatsApp twenty twenty back when you were younger and also how you perhaps reflected on it now that you're quote unquote older. You know, before you I guess embarked on that project. Yeah.
2: I I think, you know, I I wouldn't say that what was on 2020 was something I thought about every day till, you know, the year 2020. Um, But it was actually, you know, in 2019, I was going through um, my own basement because my mom's a hoarder and that's where I get it from. Um, And we have this like coloring book that I found um, that was essentially this teaching book um, or kind of like an art instruction book that we were given um, during primary school. So I went to a Chinese primary school um, in Damansara. Um, And so, you know, you'd have all these like different visitors coming in and, you know, selling and like peddling the different products. And this one was by this artist called Aslan, who I still cannot find, this mysterious Aslan. Um, And he basically um, made this book that was, you know, it was called Kale, the Vision City. And it was was these, you know, amazing chromatic crayon drawings of Kale City skylines. And, you know, like, or accompanied by that, like robots and like the Hulk, you know. Um, But it was an instructional booklet. So it was about how you... Basically, recreate what Aslan drew. Um, So, I thought at the time that it was interesting that, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of consuming um, and recreating these kind of visuals of all on 2020 um, without even realizing it. And that's kind of what spurred me to kind of think seriously about it, too. How about you guys?
1: I think for me, I really grew up sort of singing the song, you know, I think everyone is very familiar with the song, but I also grew up in Penang, so in some ways I was quite removed from the centre of the city. I only really started going to KL maybe in my early 20s, when I started to work there, and then, you know, later I moved to KL. And I think, you know, Coming as an outsider into the city, I always loved the Twin Towers. I always loved Petronas Twin Towers, right? It was the kind of emblem for me of what um, KL stood for in comparison to the kind of like very sleepy Penang that I'm from. Um, So, you know, for me, I think Wawa Sun 2020 has always really been a story told through buildings and through the skyline of KL, Um, especially someone who has sort of, really looked at KL only from afar and even to this day I feel a little bit like an outsider when I am in KL.
3: For me, I think it's it's somewhat opposite from both my friends here, right? It's not the promise of development but rather the failure of development. So I remember kind of growing up, my parents would talk about the 97 crisis a lot, right? Because that almost kind of decimated the family fortune in manufacturing and to me it was the opposite, right? How Wawasan has failed. Um, But, you know, as growing up, I think it's not so much that it has failed, rather it has seeped into many multiple forms. And that's why um, this project that we are doing here is so important, right? Inve- reinvestigate how uh, it has become something else um, over the past few decades.
0: Um, Going back to the Wawasan project, um, you started doing this project in 2019. Obviously, 2020 is a difficult year to somehow, I guess, digest when it comes to Talking about Wawasan twenty twenty only because um we had other distractions, you know, global distraction. But regardless, um, you know, it's been two years now, it's twenty twenty-two now. Um why why are we still to some extent fascinated with with Wawasan twenty twenty? Two years later, you know, if you know what I mean? I mean and 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 I know it's good to to be reflective, but what else can we can we gather from from this whole yeah, what wasn't twenty concept? Yeah.
1: I think one thing that became clear as we were working on our online exhibition was that Wawasan 2020 really, you know, means such different things to so many people as can be told from like the stories that we all have of it, right? I mean, in some ways, it's really this blank slate upon which we can just project our ideas. I think that's the thing that has always fascinated me about the project, like what well, was in 2020 as an idea. You know, it's like specific enough, but it's also vague enough such that everyone kind of has their own interpretation of it, has their own story of it. And when it becomes such a big part of the way in which political subjectivity, I think, especially in the 1990s and early 2000s was uh, created, you know, the way we think of ourselves as political subjects at the time was really uh, tied up with this idea of was in 2020. Our also kind of like personal subjectivity in some ways, I think, becomes tied up with 20, what was in 2020. So it's, I guess, why it continues to fascinate is it's because it's so hard to extricate. You know, it's so hard to like remove this and still like feel like ourselves, you know, in some way, um, not only as sort of like, citizens
3: but also as just like individuals. I want to latch on to that and kind of add to that as well, right? Um, We, Wawasan 2020 may have ended but we are all Wawasan subjects, right? And what I mean by that is the three of us and alongside many other contributors as we plowed through the archive, what we saw clearly in the 1990s was this um, anxiety that Mahathir and um, his propagandists and everyone in the policy team had, right, about how Malaysia is backward, right? They wanted to literally mold this modern subject, who's capable, who's faster, better, almost kind of like a huge like a robotic humanoid, right? And and this is actually very, it's very um, it's it's it wouldn't be, it's actually very in Mahathir's form, right? Remember in the 1970s, he wrote this treatise about the Malay dilemma and how. Malays have to kind of like modernize themselves to compete in modern economy and 20 years later he comes back with something similar which is a Malaysian subject is now backward and they have to modernize themselves and we are a product of that even though the deadline has lapsed and we can't kind of escape that and so it's worth relooking how that has shaped uh, how we conceive of uh, ourselves and our nation and our subjects.
2: Yeah and I think like lays, you know, also pointed out that aspect of Walls on Twenty Twenty that is, you know, it's just a little bit absurd, you know. I think, you know, like kind of, it's just, it's, it's just fun to look at because I think, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Hanif, like, you know, we were, we were doing this project, you know, the year of Twenty Twenty, which was a very, you know, like the climate of Twenty Twenty was, you know, often, well, it was, it was hard, it was difficult, and you know, often how we dealt with it was through humor, right? And you know, in many ways, Walls on Twenty Twenty was the same, you know. You have things that are, you know, just like downright, like, you know, mind boggling events, like, you know, like the proton weira being dropped um, from a plane to try to symbolize like Malaysian spirit, um, um, you know, like things like, you know, like uh, world records being set in a mall of how many people can fit in a mall. Um, and so things like this, you know, it's it's about how, you know, modernity and like, you know, the idea of or the, the face of Malaysia being a developed nation was made to be something. Um, consumable and easily palatable for us to understand.
0: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And I think I want to latch on to what uh, Leixing said about how we are quite, to a certain extent, obsessed with modernity, right? And, And I think one of the ways modernity somehow... Can can materialize is in the form of development, right? And I think um that's that's one thing that uh perhaps you have highlighted in in your project the fact that we have a lot of projects that were done throughout I guess throughout the what well, was ten years I suppose and and you know projects that may not necessarily materialize right we have some successful projects here and there but we also have a lot of projects that may not necessarily see the light of day, um so maybe you can share a bit about what you have discovered on that front and what that to to Sanitana, I guess says about our city.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things about the idea of pembangunan is that, you know, it means development, but also it's derived from bangunan, right, which is a building or a structure. So, our, which is also then in turn uh, derived from bangun, which is, you know, to wake up or to stand up or to get up. So, there are all these meanings that are kind of nested within each other. I think what's really interesting is it, there's this sort of, like, Metaphorical sort of undertone to that, right? If development is dependent on building, then both of them are very central to this idea of a kind of like rise, whether that's of a nation or of a state or whatever. Um, So, one of the sort of very interesting projects that we stumbled upon was actually, as you said, a failed project. So, KL Linear City was proposed to be the longest building in the world. So by then we already had KLCC, which was then the tallest building in the world. So they wanted to also counterpoint that with the longest building in the world. Um, and you know, this is KL in the nineties, it's pretty busy, it's pretty developed at this point. So where in the world are they gonna fit the longest building in the world? And the answer that uh, Vincent Dunn of Bajaya and uh, David Chu, who was a kind of like dilettante who studied engineering, was that they would put it right on top of the Klang River. So it was a 12-kilometer-long building um, that would be consist of various car parks, of malls, and of a train that would basically connect the entire um, structure. Uh, the train actually was the only thing that materialized. The train is what we know today as the monorail. Uh, back then, it was called the People Rapid Mover uh, Transit, the PRT. Um, but you know the, this is sort of amazing story of uh, what would have been this kind of like floating building right on top of the Klang River that you know basically never happened because of the Asian financial crisis.
3: Um, I want to add, yes, I think there are a lot of urban projects or urban visions as part of Wawasan, right? And this is what I'm gonna raise is not so much a building, but a kind of this. There was this total spatial reordering of uh, of Malaysia, right? And in some ways, Wawasan is an attempt to kind of like shift the manufacturing center or like the economic center down south, right? So at that point, Penang was really kind of developed. It was a hub for semiconductor manufacturing. Uh, It was a hub for manufacturing. And, And Mahathir really wanted to... And this, of course, wasn't said um, explicitly, but there were many commentators and newspapers at that point who latched onto that and said that Boston was an attempt to shift the, the spatial center down south, right? And not only that, but also to move away from manufacturing to the knowledge economy, right? So physical manufacturing to the kind of like, to something else in the cyberspace. So something tangible to something intangible, right? And there were all these um, spatial metaphors, uh, use and to answer your question on how this is unbuilt he also envisioned gyre as kind of like what he calls a brain of the country literally the nerve center Cyberjaya project as the nerve center of the country right so uh, it was a center and then everything else was a periphery and of course malaysia today is much more decentralized right it's not yes it is still very much concentrated in the capital but it is not what he planned it out to be where everything else everything else comes through the centre. So this is another form of unbuildness.
0: There was Yap Li Sheng and he's joined by Dennis Lai and Lim Xiaoyun and together they're part of the Wawasan Project, a collective that archives materials related to Wawasan 2022. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Baharuddin, and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. I'm speaking to Denise Lai, Lim Xiaoyun and Yap Lee Sheng from Muawasan Project, and initiative that archives and documents materials related to the fame Muawasan 2020, a brainchild of our then Prime Minister, Tun Dr Mahathir Mohamad. We've spoken about the motive and reasons behind the setting up of this collective, and now we're going to continue the conversation by looking at the obsession that we had in wanting to break all kinds of records then.
2: Yeah, I think I think a large part of Wawasan 2020 was the idea of Malaysian excellence, right? Um I mean part of part of Mahath's idea for Wawasan 2020 was, you know, the idea that Malaysia would not only just be excellent, but also more excellent than the West, right? So it's this kind of alternative form. Um, you know, in a lot of his speeches, he explicitly states how, you know, Western models of pro- like progress do not work in Malaysia and in actuality that we need um, our very own formula towards this. And that was his nine goals. Right. So, you know, you had, you know, psych- psychologically subservient to none. Um, I can't really remember all of them. You guys can help out. Uh, re- religiously, a family oriented. Um, yeah, just just a whole breadth of different ideologies. Um and so, like, we have this very uniquely Malaysian formula um, here. Um, and I think to do so, you know, it required, you know, hyperbole. So it required, you know, setting records. Um, it required building the tallest buildings. Um, and, you know, in that sense, it it was just kind of an easy way out, right? They're, they're kind of sometimes um, empty symbols uh, or easy, easy ways into, you know, um, grabbing attention. And I think that's something that, you know, um, actually, one of our contributors to our exhibition highlighted. So we have um, the artist Iza Arif um, and the writer Ellen Lee, um, and they actually responded to this first day cover in our archive. And so you know, the first day covers—they um, they're these postal objects that celebrate different. Um, achievements or monuments um, in Malaysia that were disseminated, um, you know, locally and around the world. And so they made a satirical first day cover about um, a series of rock formations um, underneath um, the Desaster Thomas flyover. Um, and so you know, again, like this, this is this way of being, you know, questioning like how how do monuments monuments become monuments and how do they attain significance? Um, and you know, they're they're kind of you know reversing. Um, the way the program worked, right? So, you know, at once we have this what was on 2020 program where, you know, things and, and images were consciously generated to, you know, that could be freely borrowed and replicated on textbooks. Um, but then, you know, Izzah and Ellen reversed this by asking, you know, like, what if things just acquire significance by accident? Um, and what if these things are, you know, ultimately kind of meaningless, like a, like a rock under a flyover?
0: Um, based on what you've uncovered, uh, based on what you've discovered from your work, and and reflecting on, on, on them. Um, did you ever feel that the way it was done was a bit like propaganda? Was there like an element of it being propaganda-driven? Or was it very apolitical and aspirational in such a way that I think everyone can't help but just be consumed by it? You know, whether whether you're, I guess, pessimistic or optimistic, there is a sense of like, I guess, wanting to be part of that vision, wanting to work towards that vision. Or did it feel very Directive as well, very top-down, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think,
1: you know, there were definitely top-down. and It was very, very top-down. I mean, Wawasan 2020 was announced by Mahathir, right? But I don't think that means that it wasn't seized in some ways by the people, right? Uh, where, you know, Denise's colouring book, I think, is a great example of like a literal, you know, instructional booklet on how to picture the city but also I think we have to understand it in the context of the 1990s as well, right? Like in the same way that KL Linear City is almost the alter ego of like the Petronas Twin Towers, I feel like Mawasan 2020 in some ways is like the alter ego of the Asian values that Lee Kuan Yew espoused in the 1990s, where, you know, Mahathir isn't really just in conversation with what's happening domestically. He's also in conversation with what he sees happening sort of internationally at that point. Um, And if Asian values was a very kind of like uh, moral dimension to the way in which uh, Lee Kuan Mudeo perceived the kind of rise of Asia, I think uh, what was in 2020 was a very sort of economic and technological vision of what Mahathir saw as the future for Malaysia itself. So I think, you know, in that way, yes, it it was very top-down, but it was also bottom-up in how people responded to him. But also, you know, he's speaking to these different scales, not just that of domestic, but also
3: a kind of like global, regional, international scale. I want to add on and say that um, it was propaganda in that sense, but uh, people relate, People do relate to the Wawasan dream. But at the same time, one of the g- most glaring contradictions is also that a lot of people were shut out of that dream, right? Um, well, you know, Mahathir talked about the Wawasan man or the Cyberjaya modernized figure, right? But critically... At this point in the 1990s, the people who actually um, people people who actually manned the factories were not uh, male; they were women from rural economies, right? So, semiconductor plants that came to Malaysia they used a lot of labor from, uh, particularly Malay women labor from, from who just entered the city, right? So, this was this was there was a glaring contradiction. In other words, he wanted to kind of figure this. Modernized men, right? But in fact, the figure of Wawasan, oftentimes in manufacturing plants, were Malay women, and um, I'm not sure I've not talked to them and how they relate to the dream, but um, but it was top down and exclusive in that sense.
0: Mm. Um, I know the show is called I Love KL, and I think we we are trying to focus much more on the city. But did the plan ever take into factor? The- places outside the city you know was it meant to be accessible to, to to not just i guess people in the city because because i think when it comes to envisioning Wawasan 2020 especially in how we i guess envision it you know via via drawings and whatnot it tends to be very very modern and very futuristic right i think futuristic is the, is the term um but did he ever think about i guess what places outside of kl will be like you know in 2020 Was it supposed to take shape similar to what I guess a lot of people have envisioned what 2020 should be like, you know, in drawings and whatnot?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that's very interesting that no one really talks about is that there were sort of sub-visions to what was in 2020. One of them was the Sarawak Manifesto of 1991, uh, where specifically, you know, development was very, very high on the agenda, you know, where rural development should have happened alongside urban development. So even the sort of like challenges that are laid out in the Sarawak manifesto are different from the nine challenges that are laid out in the sort of like bigger picture of what at 2020. Um, so there is this kind of like urge to specify I guess for a place um, but the Sarawak manifesto is really the only place that I saw which doesn't totally devalue the rural right it doesn't totally devalue like the place of the kind of like countryside. I think um, the dominant sort of mahatirist vision was very much one of the city um, and of city of um, the country becoming the city, but its subvisions took on a different kind of tone.
0: Mm. Based on what you've done, um, you know, in archiving all the materials that um, regarding wawasan, uh, did the I mean, obviously, yeah, we grew up in the era where it was it was a big thing, right? I think in the in the 90s and also early 2000s. But I also remember it being less talked about, as much as it was still a vision that I think was was subscribed by uh by many. Um, I think towards the latter part of his tenureship, uh, Mahade's tenureship. So, um, based on the materials that you guys have gathered, yeah, was was that really the case? And and was was there ever like a conversation surrounding Wawasan 2020 post Mahade? during his first time as a prime minister?
1: I think, you know, the death knell of awesome 2020 was really the Asian financial crisis, uh, where all of a sudden all these mega projects that were being funded by oil money, by, you know, finance money just kind of collapsed, right? Um, so it's, I think it's very difficult to sustain the dream when the sort of web of projects that it's entangled in is just no longer feasible. So I, I really think that Wilson 2020. that's when Wilson 2020 took a back seat. And that was also the reason why KL Linear City never happened, you know, because of the you know, sheer cost of it that Magaya and Indowater just couldn't afford in the aftermath of the Asian financial crisis. There was some conversation where... Post mahate you know, when Badawi took over, but I think, you know, very quickly people realized that this is not part of his personality. You know, can you imagine Badawi going around talking about like in 2020 we'll have flying cars? And actually, I mean, it was a pretty sore point for Mahathir as well. You know, and his criticisms of Badawi, a lot of it was that you know he failed to continue with us in 2020. But I think. That was also, I guess, one of the things, it was so tied up to uh, Mahathir as a character that it kind of just lost steam when uh, the sort of like building blocks of it started to crumble.
3: Uh, add on to that, I think there's also a very interesting shift in ideology, right, after Mahathir stepped down. So Wawasan, the kind of Wawasan, the ideal modern figure of Wawasan is uh it's not to say that it's not religious, but religion didn't really figure prominently in the Wawasan ideal, right? But in, in 20, 2002, um, Mahathir stepped down and then Badawi came and he had all of this feel about like the um, um, pious Muslim economy, right? A sustainable Muslim economy, something like that. And that really shifted the entire um kind of like tone of developmentalism, right? Right now, it's not just unbridled pursuit of development, but it, we must do it in accordance with uh, religious principles. And I think Badawi is also one of the first um, prime minister to call Malaysia an Islamic state, right? And what he meant by that was a, a state anchored by Muslim principles. And I think that's a very prominent example of how um, as power changes, uh, you know, the directional country kind of took a different turn and Wawasan, uh as a not- not overly religious uh, manifesto uh, became something else. Malaysia become much more a different kind of country.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, so going back to uh, Mawasan project, um, it exists in the form of a website uh, that you, people can visit. And there are a lot of, I guess, materials there. Um, so for listeners out there who are curious to to find out more about it, uh, what will they be able to find there? I understand that there's even a, a mini game there, right? That's kind of cool. <laughs>
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, so so out of out of the archives, so we, you know, we created this Waosan, sun dot directory um, exhibition. So we, you know, invited 16 contributors, you know, their artists, their writers, their lawyers, um, their game makers, um, musicians. And so, you know, the, we have a wide breadth of different kind of responses. And that was kind of our um, you know, our idea that, you know, one, we also wanted to shift the gaze away from the state-centered um you know gates of what was on 2020, but also to you know inject you know diversity and kind of subjectivity into our archive, you know, bring in bring in opinions, you know, disregard, admiration, you know, sometimes annoyance to this very sanitized, um, state-centered history that is typically offered. So, you know, you'll you'll find anything and everything. And we also um invite people to contribute because you know we love, you know, it we want the exhibition to grow as well. We're you know building a publication, but like you know our intention was to kind of just make it into this thing that um well this this node like you know La was saying that you know eventually connects to other nodes, and um I think our our exhibition titles alludes to this right it's like um we were kind of you know a directory being this like hyperlink thing where you connect one person from the other and sometimes unknown connections are made, so yeah, we hope we hope to get some some contributions if you can
0: all right so so for now, it exists in the form of a website, but um you obviously have physical material as well, and uh, like you said earlier, there's there's uh, a book that's currently in production, right? Um, so uh, it's meant to be an ongoing process. How how long do you foresee doing this?
2: Oh, I well, um, I think it's it's not ongoing per se, but I think you know, like we welcome people to like come to the archive and look through the um the Wallace 2020 archive and all the objects because they are like fascinating um there's one that's a comic called 2020 uh that was published in relax magazine in 1997 and it was this like crazy story set in like techno futuristic malaysia and there's you know this multi ethnic squad of young Malaysians that overthrow um this um, this group of villains that are like coded as white westerners and you know it's it's this you know you have like floppy discs um projecting holograms and so yeah we have objects like this which will uh, you know inevitably be quite exciting um and that, that we also um hope that you know by by visually vis- vis- coming into the archive um, but also you know we, we can always get a dm on instagram um, just to share stories and or even to critique what we've done
0: mm. i mean i mean it's kind of interesting that i think because to an extent we're all part of that generation right that grew up with the wawasan 2020 narrative but how would you i guess contextualize this to someone who's a bit younger <laughs> you know i mean having the website is great but you know what kind of things do they have to somehow i guess be mindful of in order to fully grasp the the whole thing
1: yeah i guess one thing that we set out to do with the website and our exhibition was to make it such that you know you didn't need to have been a part of it to really understand it so you know as you mentioned one of the things that we do have on our website is this little game right um and it's a Yeah, you basically, you're like, it's a snake game. And as you eat the sort of like pieces of uh, these little like protons and like there's eyes on them, Uh, this image of KLCC kind of like flashes back and forth. And it's set to this sort of like thumping techno music. So I guess we're hoping that the work speaks for itself, right? Where you don't have to really understand it to kind of understand the implicit uh, and underlying messages that, you know, come with...
3: Come with the works. I also want to say to kind of the younger generation, I mean, I think they're all pretty young, but then this newer generation who were born after the millennium, um, that even though it's longer the Bawasan era, kind of the ghost of Wawasan lives among us, right? And today we've talked about uh the linear city and how it has uh irretrievably carved out like urban spaces in our city. You know, we talked about like uh, monuments under the highways and how it's connected to this monumental fetish uh, as part of Wawasan. So there are all these little hints of how kind of Wawasan era ideas lives uh, among us, and we just have to kind of open our, our our eyes to it and observe.
0: What's next for us? I mean, in the sense that 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 at one point, I mean, whether you're political or apolitical, Wawasan twenty twenty at least even pers- for me personally it was something to aspire to, and, and, you, know, you know, in a you know, kind of weird way, I guess, one way or another. But but now that we've passed the date, how would you, yeah, all three of you, like reflect on, on I, I guess, you know, I guess, yeah, I mean, like Lee Sheng said, the ghost of Wawasan 2020 will continue to live on, I think one way or another. But, but where do we go next?
1: I mean, I think one thing that Wawasan has made sort of emblematic is that every prime minister needs to have a vision now. You know, like Sabri has his uh, Keloaga Malaysia. Um, everyone, everyone kind of has has their stamp on the world in that way. I but I, I do think that in some ways we'll never really escape Mawasan, You know, it it has set the tone for a lot of ways in which uh, politics, even just like functions uh, in in Malaysia, and. That's the interesting thing about history, right? That story is always being written. So the whatever happens will always be connected to what has already happened. And it's just a way in which we continue to tell these stories. Like that's, I guess, what's fundamentally interesting to me about any of these projects.
0: If
3: my I may add on a bit longer, um, is that actually, I think one very crucial difference that this mood in Malaysia has shifted, right? In 1990s, there was always this beyond this future to look towards. And I don't know about my fellow um friends here, or even Hanif yourself. Do you feel sometimes it feels like we are in a stasis, right? Um there was there's no longer this kind of future to look into. And especially after the pandemic, it feels like we are stuck in the present, right? And maybe that is a product of the kind of the end of what was um this perpetual stasis.
1: No, I was gonna say I don't think it's specific to Malaysia, but you know, it's I think a kind of like Everyone is feeling this pessimism, this insularity. Um, I mean, the UK. Look at the US. Um, even look at like Hong Kong or Singapore. Right? Um, there's a sort of looking inward now. I think it's a, it's a very different kind of time.
2: Yeah, I agree with you both. I think you know, Lace brought stasis. Shao brings up pessimism. I think. Um, I think I maybe speak for like the side of. Um, you know, like finding Ross on 2020, just, you know, something that you kind of have to, it's kind of just a release, you know, like I, when I look at the exhibition, I look at it as like a time capsule, like in the same way that someone would bury a time capsule, it's like something that you, you make, you construct out of things you thought about, you talked about, things that are like personal to you and, you know, like things that were important to you, like subconsciously, um, you bury them in really deep in the ground and then 10 years later, maybe someone will find it and it'll be useful to someone else. So, yeah.
0: Um, So for listeners out there who would like to check out the website, where can they go to?
2: It's
1: wawasan.directory and that is actually a functioning URL, wawasan.directory.
0: You've been tuning in to I Love KL, and that was Lim Xiaoyun, and she's joined by Dennis Lai and Yap Li Sheng. They're part of the Wawasan Project, a collective that collects and archives materials relating to Wawasan Do. blow. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash iLoveKL, our app, which you can find via Google Play and the App Store, and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you've been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.